Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast for the very first time. I'm glad that you decide to join in and listen. Um, if you're in any kind of danger, please do not listen to the podcast. Hang up, dial 911, get some assistance. And if you just need some assistance with an advocate, there is a domestic violence hotline number, and that is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. The number is one 800 799 7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. Today's guest um, is Miss Robin Lucas. She is an author. She is a survivor. And we are going to have a conversation today on the podcast. And if I have her permission, we're going to start recording. Hey, Robin. Hey, Missy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad that you decided to come in and and do a recording with me. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. And um, I wanted to know, would you like to talk about maybe a little bit about who you are um, and your little bit of your backstory uh, before we start really kind of getting in on things? Yeah, sure thing. Um, Well, first of all, um, I'm a survivor. I was in a marriage, an abusive marriage for almost 19 years. Um, And I'm a mom. I have two amazing children that I absolutely adore. They're teenagers now, so I'm having a lot of fun with them and watching them kind of blossom into their own personalities and, and their own little, you know, mini adulthood, right. um, so to say. Right. And um, and I'm also an author. I, I love writing. I'm a storyteller um, by nature, and it just sort of was a perfect kind of match for me <laughs> to actually just start, you know, sharing my stories. Right. And when you wrote your book, um, and her book, by the way, y'all, is called Paper Dollina. And it's a beautiful book. She actually sent me a copy of the book. And um, it's very beautiful. And it's purple. And so um, I want to know, what was the inspiration behind the book? I know it's fiction. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So Paper Dollina was actually, um, I wrote it in about nine weeks. I, I... Charlottesville. I don't know if you remember Charlottesville when all that crap happened in uh, in Virginia a few years uh-huh, ago, and uh-huh. I just could not reckon with it in my head. Right. Um, so I sort of withdrew into myself, and I just started writing. Um, just I had a dream, and I just started jotting things down, and got on my laptop and just started writing, writing, writing. Nine weeks later, I had a book, and I did not quite realize that bits and pieces of myself were in this book. Um, so when I was started revising because, you know, you have to revise like a gajillion times. So once I started revising, um, I slowly began to see some parallels um, from the book into my own life. And it made me realize that, um, that you know, my marriage wasn't quite as healthy as I thought it was, and it was actually indeed toxic. Um, and it was kind of like a wake-up call in a sense, like, hey, this is not normal, this is not anything that you should be allowing. Um, so writing the book kind of kind of saved my life a little bit. Hmm, that's very interesting. Um, so there's there's definitely healing in writing. So, oh, definitely. <clears throat> writing right. is so therapeutic. Wow. Um, so whenever you talk about you know what you went through in your marriage and you you kind of realize well this is just toxic, you know. Um, so. What exactly was that marriage like? Like, and give give people like a sense of what you exactly went through. I mean, I know you was telling me when we spoke that he was a, a preacher. 
Yeah. Yeah. He uh, preaches, not necessarily a day job, mm-hmm. but yeah, he's an ordained, licensed minister, mm-hmm. pastor. He has his own church now. Um, so yeah, that was really fun. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about spiritual abuse the way that we talk about, you know, the uh, the bruises and, you know, the, the more physical abuse, right? Because everyone mm-hmm. highlights physical abuse because it's something that you can see. You can see the bruises. You can see the broken bones. You can see the black eyes. But you can't see the cuts that happen to your soul, you know, when it comes to spiritual abuse or emotional manipulation or coercive control or gaslighting. Um, so, yeah, he was a master manipulator, um, unfortunately. And uh, it was really tough. It was it was really tough. Wow. And and did any do you think anyone around you, maybe except for your children, ever saw this or ever thought about, you know, like, oh, well, he's not doing her right or, you know what I mean? Like people just in general in the congregation or people from the outside looking in. Do you think anyone ever witnessed it? No. So it was just no. a secret? No, no. Um, if they did witness it, it was, you know, like his family and, right. and his personal friends and people that um, kind of fed his narcissistic need, right. you know? Um, yeah. And it, people who sort of benefited from from the abuse. I mean, let's say that we abusers typically have, you know, a group of people that they they reference or, or mm-hmm. they can count on mm-hmm. <laughs> because they are um, they're getting benefits from it. You know, and, right. and in a lot of my my ex husband's case, um, he used money as a as a big point of manipulation. Um, so like. In order to get his family on his side, he would, you know, send them money or he would buy them things or, you know, something along those lines. Right. So it was always, it was always transactional. I'll, I'll put it like that. Right. His affection, his love, his attention was always, always transactional. And it took the kids and I, you know, a long time to recognize that and to actually, um, you know, start healing from that. Right. Definitely. Um, what was the one one moment, like the defining moment, besides writing the book? Because I know that there had to have been a moment, like in the middle of that, that you was just like, this, you know, this ain't right. You know, I'm just, yeah. I'm being just tortured by him. And you know, explain how that, what what that moment was for you. Oh boy, I don't, I can't say that it was a definite moment. I will say that there were micro moments mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my ex-husband thought that uh, he would hire me a life coach, a Christian life coach, to help me finish another story, not not the one that I was working on that would eventually become Paper Dolina, but a different story. Um, it was mainly to benefit him so he could look like he was the supportive husband. Um, so he hired a life coach for me, and, and I could never finish the book. And my life coach actually looked at me and she was like, hey, I need you, I need to know what what the deal is. Like, why aren't you finishing this book? I need you to record your day. I need to know what you're hearing, what you're listening to, what you're watching, because there's something going on that's not not working for you. It's working Mm -hmm. against you. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I did the homework. And I started recording snippets of conversation, you know, things that I was watching. I brought it back to her. And she, in turn kind of looked at me very seriously and she goes Robin I really want you to listen to this and she let me listen to a conversation that I record with my husband and she said do you really think that this is acceptable 
do you really think that this is normal? And to me, it was my normal. You know, I, mm-hmm. I grew up with a narcissistic parents. I grew up in, in, in toxic households. Um, so to me, that was my normal. But when she said that, something kind of clicked in my head like, okay, so this feeling that I have that this should not be acceptable, that is validated. Um, and in turn, you know, it really started getting me thinking like, okay, so maybe we can fix it. So we did the whole therapy thing, right? Or the counseling mm-hmm. thing, but it was just, it was fake. You know, he would go and do the song and dance and, and I would just sort of sit there like, he want to get help, but he didn't really want to get help. You know, he wanted to control the situation and he wanted to control mm-hmm. the counselor and manipulate the counselor and manipulate the whole session. Um, and in turn, you know, it never got better. And it wasn't until um, I had to take out a protective order in 2018 that I was able to break free. Like, in all honesty, um, it, it just, the cycle continued, you know, the love bombing cycle. And the maybe he'll get better or the maybe, you know, as a Christian, you, you pray for your husband, right? It's right. like, let's just pray and things will get better. You know, but there's no magic prayer that you say. There's no magic formula that can actually fix an abusive marriage. No. If someone is abusing you, if, if you're in that horrible, abusive cycle, it never ends because it's a cycle. You know, there's going to be seasons where it seems like it's better, but it always goes back to the cycle, you know, and eventually mm-hmm. that cycle gets shorter and shorter, and eventually the abuse gets gets worse and more violent. Um you know, and, and that's what happened in my case. Right. Yeah, and 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 in your case also, did that? I, I just want to ask this because I'm curious. Actually, sure. Did that actually make you like sort of look at religion different? Or it did. It yeah, because it, it did. I, I I have not been back to church mm-hmm. since. Um, I will say this, I, you know, I have my own personal relationship with God and, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has to kind of make their own, own decision. My children refuse to even acknowledge it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. of the abuse and the manipulation that they've suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's something that, that, that they have to deal with, you know, and, and they mm-hmm. have to slowly pick apart in their own lives. Um, and I give them the freedom and I give them the liberty to choose, you know, because they weren't ever given a choice. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you're in a religion that doesn't teach love, like real, true, honest, just love, like love your neighbor, love your spouse, love, love the people in your life, wow. then it's, it's toxic. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. you, you can't talk about an all powerful being without talking about, you know, the love that's wow. kind of centered around it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah, I found myself, um, being around toxic. Um, religious people I know some very beautiful religious people that believe in God and believe in love and believe in taking care and loving everyone and and not being judgmental but then there you've got that piece of of some people that are like you know if you don't walk this way you don't look this way and you don't act this way well then you don't you're not going to heaven you're not going you're going to go to hell you know yeah and so you've got those out here that that are in a religious uh you know type thing and i i I don't roll with that you know and i do believe in god and i am spiritual 
you know I call myself spiritual because that's who I am because I don't attend church every Sunday do I watch um, I do have a friend that is a police officer he's actually over the police department and he's a preacher and I watched him on um, you know social media and stuff like that because you know since the pandemic you know they have to do a lot of stuff you know online oh, and yeah. stuff and but watching him preach is like such an eye opener because he's such a beautiful human being on the inside like oh, he just wonderful. yeah i mean he beams love and wisdom of love and that's what he stands for and that part of that i admire i can go along with that you know what i'm saying yeah um, I mean, that, that, that's right. what it's about yes though. definitely you know when you really mm-hmm. think about it that's we're called to love yes right we're not called to be judgmental like no. at the end of the day say you have a loved one who is in a domestic abusive mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. you know they're not going to leave their spouse. They're not going to leave their partner immediately. It takes at least seven times, seven unsuccessful times before a victim leaves their, their abuser. There were many times that I considered it, many times that I called shelters, many times that I looked into it, many times that I told my sister, hey, I'm packing up my car right now, and me and the kids are going to drive to Vegas, you know, because wow. she lived in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I talked myself out of it, you know, or something happened to where it was like, okay, so the shelter doesn't take dogs. I can't, I have nowhere to put my dogs, so I'm stuck here, mm-hmm. you know? But if your loved one is in that, that situation, you cannot come to them judgmentally and say, hey, you're being abused. You need to leave, unless their life is actually in danger. Wow. You know, I mean, emotional abuse is one thing. Physical abuse is another thing. If, if you are afraid of their life, you go pick them up throw them in the car not don't physically throw them but put them in the car take them away you know call right. 911 you have to get them out of the situation but if you're dealing with the emotional side the coercive control side you cannot possibly approach your loved one in a spirit of judgment you no. have to love them yes that is the only way that they're going to be receptive to even admitting that they're in an abusive situation you know that's the only way that they're going to be receptive to even considering leaving and even when they consider leaving they're going to try more than one time unsuccessfully and you have to be okay with that you know you have to just walk with them along the way and you just have to be there for them right and you know what it's not necessarily it, it mental mental and emotional abuse is not believed and if you don't have yeah. straight up evidence even people in the court systems the law enforcement different people in those organizations do not believe the woman they do not believe that she was emotionally abused yeah yeah definitely well let's take the recent gabby petito case right yes she's been in the news she's been in the media we've all seen the video Mm -hmm. of the police officers talking to her Mm -hmm. outside of that white van the last time that she's recorded you know, alive, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a tragic situation. And I know that many, many women, many men, many children go missing every year. I, I fully acknowledge that. But this case has been in the media. Wow. So we look at how the police officers actually react to her, right? She's crying. She's hysterical. She says something that really got me, though. They ask her about her boyfriend. And she goes, I can't take him anymore. He stresses me out. Mm-hmm. And they, in turn, respond, so is it your OCD? Is it your mental health? Instead of actually listening to the words that she's saying, 
you know, she's saying that he's stressing her out, that, that he can't actually, that she can't navigate, you know, his toxicity. You know, I mean, wow. sometimes we have to read between the lines. We have to kind of listen to more than what people are saying with their mouths. You know, listen to the spirit of what they're saying. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, law enforcement officers are not trained to identify coercive control. They're not trained to identify um, that form of domestic violence, which is which is sad, you know, wow. because who do they trust in this situation? They trust the guy who's level-headed, who wow. you know, can speak, and, you know, he has his emotions under control. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. not hysteric, so in turn, he's the one who's trusted. Wow. And it's it's a really, really sad state. You know, I actually called the police um, the morning that I ended up taking out a PTO. They came to the house. I was shaking. I was terrified. In the back of my head, I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do when the police come to the door? <laughs> you know, like, am I really going to tell them what happened? You know, do I want them to arrest my husband, who is the father of my children? You know, and here we live in this big 6,000 square foot house. And, you know, we live in this fancy community. And now I'm going to have police officers arresting my husband, who happens to be black, in Forsyth County, you know, which is like a predominantly white county. Mm-hmm. So all this hat was going on in my head. Mm-hmm. And so the police officers show up. And I'm, my eyes are red, you know, I'm shaking. I open the door and they ask me, you know, hey, is everything okay? I lied through my teeth. I say, yeah, everything's okay, but I'm shaking. I have all the clues that something is not right. And yet they didn't press anything. You know, they didn't ask more questions. They didn't lead up to anything else. Um, and I often wonder, you know, like, hey, if, if someone would have said, hey, seriously are you okay do you need any help I think I would have told them what was going on you know but Mm -hmm. they're not trained you know all too often unfortunately they're not trained to identify domestic violence you know right right yeah I mean it could have been it could have been life or death you know right definitely definitely and um I find it um like in a lot of situations where I'm from that it's almost like a masculinity thing you know it goes back to i'm rough and tough i don't need to know how to talk to a a victim or actually i was like approached by a state trooper here in the state and his he said he didn't even know what a victim's advocate was and then asked me this was right after this was on the heels of what happened to gabby and he said what you know what exactly what do you do and for those questions to be asked to me, it was almost just like a setback, like, yeah. like almost like a, I, I can't even explain it. You know what I mean? And so, well, here's, here's something that I, here's a statistic that I, I actually came to find out recently. Hold on. I got to pull it up. And it, it was eye opening, but it also explained a lot of what we see, you know, when it comes to, unfortunately, I mean, listen, if I'm going to call 911, I love the cops. I want them to show up. You know, I'm not, you know, anti-police or anything like that, but the system needs to change, right? We need more education. We need to bring more awareness when it comes to these people who can actually save the lives of victims, you know, and identify what's going on. But here's, here's a quote that Don Winslow on Twitter actually posted. He said, by one estimate, police officers in the United States 
perpetrate acts of domestic violence at roughly 15 times the rate of the general population. So if we're looking at the general population in the United States, and we consider one in four women, one in four women and one in 10 men will face some act of domestic violence within their lifetime. Hmm. You know, we're talking 20,000 calls a day to the domestic hotline, the domestic violence awareness hotline. Um, What does that equal? 10 million calls, 20 million Mm -hmm. calls, however many millions of calls. But we look at this isolated, this isolated case when it comes to police officers and they perpetrate acts of domestic violence. And all too often, these acts of domestic violence go unreported. You know, wow, definitely At 15 times the rate of the general population. Right. The, um, the, there's a system up here in Alabama and it's called the, um, ALEA. Oh, well, it's not a system. It's the Alabama law enforcement agency. Um, and they are the ones that does the report <clears throat> on domestic violence cases or homicides in domestic violence and they're supposed to come up with the statistics the numbers for the state you know or whatever every year they are one to two years behind wow. like you can you could call them right now and ask them to give you the statistics and they would say but well, we don't even have the statistics for last year Wow. so well then what does that even say and then when they do get statistics or you know their whole thing I mean how about the ones that aren't being spoke about but the reason why women don't is because of the conversation we just had. They're not yeah. believed, and when they are, um, they're because the police officers are not being trained to what is the coercive, what is the control will. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the emotional, mental abuse? Mm-hmm. They're not trained on that part. Yeah. They only want to see, hey, look, if she's got bruises, which, which. If they show up to a domestic violence uh, call, they're supposed to see which one's the aggressor. You know what I mean? Like, they're supposed to really be, like, checking that out. Because sometimes in some situations, and I know in mine, me and him both had been walking on the side of a, uh, you know, a hot uh, Alabama day on the side of a road. And, of course, he was beating the tar out of me and throwing me in a ditch. And my hair was, he was pulling me by my hair. And um, people had saw it, witnessed it. But the police officer that showed up, all he saw was both of us red-faced. And he automatically was like, I'm taking you both to jail for domestic violence. But whenever that happened to me, when I was 18 years old, that was it for me. I was like, oh, I won't never call the police because they won't believe what's going on with me. You know what I mean? They won't believe that he's abusing me. And if I call the police, he'll wind up killing me. So, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, that, that's really sad, and that makes that makes me sad even thinking about it. You know, but it, it's the truth, and it actually happens. And there's actually um, a passage in my book that you know, Lena, she calls nine one one, or nine one one is actually called on her behalf. Um, you know, in in one of her situations, and the police officer, he knows the husband, or he knows Lena's husband um, from church. Mm-hmm. So they're also part of the community. I know police officers, they work in the community. They live in the community. You know, mm-hmm. we want community policing. Um, but they also have to be able to discern 
you know, friend from foe. They also need to discern, hey, I know this person from church. They're a great person. However, I need to do my job as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and we see that, you know, in the book, unfortunately, um, you know, and it, it could cost her her life. Wow. You know, and, and it, I'm pretty sure it does cost, you know, some individuals their lives. Right, wow. right. Wow. Yeah, I mean it does, and you know it's it's just a sad thing, and and we need more awareness and books like, um, Paper Dollina, things that in that nature your writing will touch other women, and you know it was like I was saying before, you know some women, you know the truth of domestic violence, hearing it from, um, another survivor or you know an advocate or something like that maybe that's just too heavy maybe they need something fictional but it's actually based on reality so um yeah. you know yeah well i love to think of books mm-hmm. as windows right. or mirrors right so right. a book can be a window and you sit and you look outside the window and you can see the world and you can be entertained right you can see the birds and you can see mm-hmm. the kids playing and you can just see other people living perfect lives and you're entertained Wow! But then a mirror, you can look into a mirror and you can have some self-reflection. And I like to think of Paper Doll Lena as a little bit of both. It is a work of fiction, so you're definitely entertained, you know, and Lena has to connect with her best friend and she makes another connection to possibly another guy um, that she has to figure out, you know, what's toxic, what's not toxic, what's normal, what's not normal, um, like everyone else has to figure out. But, you know, there is also some moments of self-reflection in the book that that people can have that mere experience with. You know, they can read some passages and actually think, wow, does this apply to my life? Oh, wow, is this, you know, something that makes me uncomfortable because it hits a little too home, too close to home? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard from readers and, and, you know, some of the things that, that they say is just, or some of the feedback I've gotten has just been really just humbling, you know, um, because they've had those mirror experiences and then they've had those window experiences, you know, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited that, uh, we found each other. And so I'm glad that you've been a part of the podcast. I mean, you've touched it with your presence. I'm glad that you've come on and talked about, um, you know domestic violence what that looks like and you know and i really want to um ask you this last question before we have to hang up on the podcast because we're running out of time um but if you if there was one thing that you could say you know because there's there's many listeners right now that will be listening to this podcast once it publishes um is there one thing that you could say if you if there's a girl out there that's listening right now and she's in a shelter and or she's still in abusive relationship she's hiding to listen to this what would be that one thing that you would say to her one thing that i would say mm-hmm. now what would well, what, what type of advice right here's the thing if, if they've already gotten out of the situation mm-hmm. i'm proud of you you did it you made that step and you're living for yourself right now mm-hmm. you know and for people who are still in their their violent situation I will tell you, it won't get better. He will never change. He will not get better. The cycles that you go through will get worse. They will get shorter and they will get worse. Violence always escalates. You know, it may be, you know, some bad words here. It may be some gaslighting. It may be course of control. You may not be able to get a job, you know. Um, 
if if he or she, because you know it, it happens to both men and women, um, you know, if your partner is not allowing you to work, if your partner is controlling your life, that turns physical. It always turns into physical violence. So start making the plans now. Start making preparations now while you can to get out. And I know that it's it's a really really hard thing to even consider. But you are so much stronger than you know. That's great, and I'm glad that you gave that advice. And I know people are going to be listening to this, and um, you're going to take a lot away from uh, Miss Robin Lucas. She's very smart and talented, and um, I just adore you, Robin. And thank you for coming oh, on the podcast. You. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Miss me uh, anytime. Let yeah, me know if you need anything else. Definitely. I mean, if you want to support her podcast, you know, um, at the end of every podcast, I try to put up the cash app if you want to support and promote her podcast you can go to the cash app that is uh survivor podcast 43 um every dime goes to promote the podcast and promote her episode so if any of y'all want to do that you feel free to do so and um thank you guys for listening and um real quick like if you want to give uh, a shout out to where they can find your book or sure sure Paper Doll Lena is sold everywhere books are sold. You mm-hmm. can actually find it right now in Target as uh, one of their buy two, get one free book sale. So cool. it's pretty cool. Um, you can also find it on Amazon.com and bookshop.org and just any of your indie bookstores. Okay. Um, and just everywhere books are sold. Okay. We're, well, we're about, we've got 30 seconds left. So guys, thank sure. you so much for listening to the podcast. And I will list, I will talk to you on the next podcast. Bye everyone. Thank you for the support.